the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. And I tell you, um, we've got developing stories that are going to make you shake your head. One of them is down on the border. In a few moments, we'll talk with Todd Benzman. He has an excerpt from his book. The book is called Overrun. Uh, but the book, the excerpt is from a chapter on an area down in Texas, not far from the border, a couple hours from Austin, I think. It's called Cleveland, uh, Cleveland, Texas. And it's in the news because that's where that murderer was from, that uh, Mexican illegal alien who was uh, on a killing spree. And uh, Ben's been wrote on that subject. So we'll talk with him about that and we'll see what he says is happening there and uh, and a lot more. And we'll by the way, John Schlafly's column is posted over at uh, over at um, uh, excuse me, townhall.com. Uh, and you can go check it out. We're going to talk with John uh, tomorrow, not today. So but first, uh, what you need to know, you know, I, I got to do a short one because I'm going to go run long. I feel certain with uh, my guests. So let me just go a couple minutes and explain something to you. More and more is becoming clear that the uh, Biden campaign was coordinating or was initiating, instigating, uh, someone has said of the spark, Antony Blinken, who is the secretary of state currently. uh, There are calls to impeach him. And I joined the chorus. I think he should be impeached. And I think he should be impeached because he got caught doing what is probably more common than not. But let me just go ahead and say, and I hope you don't think that I sound like a total conspiracy theorist. But after a while, when you when people say, oh, that's a conspiracy, but it turns out you're right. Um, It's like that old uh, joke. You know, you're not paranoid. um, You know, if everybody's out to get you, I'm not I'm not paranoid. It's just everybody's out to get me. And it turns out that they are. Well, here's how this works. It's now become clear that Antony Blinken got on the phone. He's a candidate. He's a a, a, an operative, a, a, a political guy for Joe Biden. And he calls up one of just what we know. We only know one report. We only know one report that he calls up one former intelligence community official. And he says, hey, did you see this Hunter Biden laptop thing? Uh, you know, that that's uh, that doesn't look right, does it? And, you know, it, it looks like that might be I know it has all the markings of Russian disinformation. And from there, the intelligence community professional goes out and he generates 50 others who sign on and say it's got all the markings of disinformation. Now, notice there is no paper trail. That would be too naive. That would be too uh, innocent. There is no written directive. I guess that's the same thing. But there's no uh, uh, trail that can point to anyone substantively. It's all done with an understanding. It's all done with an understanding. And even let me go further and say that this is how the narrative machine generally works. It, it goes without the big, in this case, it's big quasi government who lays out this marker. And then here comes the intelligence community. They say, oh yeah, we'll jump on that. We all want jobs in the future. We'll, we'll go with that. We want to be in good with the media because next comes the media and the media signs on and starts to say, well, there's a letter 
And the letter with 51 uh, intelligence community officials signing it says that these have the markings uh, of uh, a Russian disinformation. That's serious. And then big media, excuse me, big tech joins in the fun and at least reiterates what had already been happening, but uh, but reinforces now that you've got this smoking gun letter. This is exactly what happens, and it allows everybody to claim some deniability. At a certain point, Jake Tapper of CNN will say, well, uh, all we did was read the letter that the 51 guys did. And, you know, the 51 guys will say, well, we wrote a letter, but we didn't say it was Russian disinformation. We said, you know, it has all the markings of you see the difference, everybody. And then you and, and Blinken now is being uh, put on the hot seat. He's saying, well, look, all I was saying was it might be everybody did their part. Everybody played their role. Everybody played along. And when the power of big government and big tech and big media is such that it can literally transform an election, literally transform what half the country thinks. We're in some uncharted territory. Antony Blinken, the secretary of state, should resign. He should be impeached for showing, admitting how this, how corrupt this system is. All right. Speaking of corrupt, we'll come back and talk about with Benzman about the border. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Mike Davis joins us now, and he is the uh, founder and head of the Article 3 Project, Article 3 Project uh, with the number 3, uh, .org, .org, .org. I know I'm looking then. Sorry, .org. Um, Mike, welcome back, and and I, I'm, I've been interested to talk to you. Felt like I s- some time slipped by because um, – they beat up on Clarence Thomas a few weeks ago. Then they tried to move on to Gorsuch. And now they're writing pieces about George Mason being too good a, a law school. Uh, what's going on here, Mike? Yeah, so thank you for having, having me back on, Ed. This is, yeah. uh, look, that what the Democrats are trying to do is they are trying to delegitimize and destroy the Supreme Court because President Trump transformed the Supreme Court to the first constitutionalist Supreme Court in 90 years, and it is the last line of defense protecting Americans from politicians. Our First Amendment rights to speak, associate, worship, our Second Amendment right to protect ourselves, and the Democrats don't like this. They they know that the Supreme Court is the last line of defense, and so they're trying to destroy it, and they're holding a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing tomorrow after they've been planting these stories with their lapdog reporters for the last Two weeks. They're trying to create this ethics cloud around the Supreme Court, which is completely bogus. I've gone through with Mark Paoletta, a friend of uh, Justice Clarence Thomas's, and we have debunked every one of these ethics charges against Justice Thomas, Justice Gorsuch, the Chief Justice, uh, Justice Kavanaugh. It's, it's only the Republican appointed justices they go after, of course. But we've debunked these. But the Democrats' game plan is to hold this hearing tomorrow where they continue to, uh, to paint that the Supreme Court is corrupted, and therefore they need to impose this ethics regime, these ethics traps, so that Democrats can use these ethics traps to go after Republican-appointed Supreme Court justices, try to strategically get them 
to recuse on cases on which they don't need to recuse and just generally destroy the credibility of the Supreme Court so they can destroy the Supreme Court with court packing impeachment term limits. That's not a conspiracy theory. That's in the Democrat National Committee platform in 2020. Article3project.org is where uh, Mike Davis is uh, based. Uh, you can go lo- look at a lot of his stuff, press releases, different things, articles. Article3, the number 3project.org. Um, Mike, um, I hate to say it. I, I-, I don't mean it, um, but, I- but I do. I mean, your your assertion that they want to destabilize or no, that's not the word, delegitimize the court, um, aided by the media. It's working pretty well. I, I, and what I mean by that is I'd say I'd say 60 percent of the country doesn't care, doesn't think it matters. But probably a third to 40 percent are, are are frothed up. I mean, it's it's like when Chuck Schumer stands in front of the Supreme Court and calls for violence effectively a couple of years ago. And, you know, you and I and others are appalled. But for a third to 40 percent of the country, they think it's just great. I mean, and and I hate to say that, but I think that's right. Yeah, I mean. That's the problem. This is the Democrats. They talk about protecting the rule of law. They talk about protecting the separation of powers. They talked about talk about democracy and, and institutions. The Democrats are trying to destroy a separate branch of government because that separate branch of government, again, is the last line of defense that that keeps the political branches in check. And the Democrats don't like that. Again, we've talked about this a lot. Ed, this is no longer our parents or grandparents' Democrat Party. These are not liberals who love America and just disagree with conservatives on the best way to get there. These are leftists. These are Marxists. They hate America. They hate uh, they they hate everything we stand for. They hate equality. They believe in equity. They hate uh, free speech. They believe in censorship. They hate due process. They believe in presumption of guilt, like Me Too, and politicized and weaponized justice systems. We talk about the assaults on the Supreme Court. It, it that Attorney General Merrick Garland sat back, actually encouraged through his words, saying that these illegal obstruction of justice campaigns outside of these Supreme Court justices' homes to threaten and, and intimidate them on a pending case, the Attorney General says that's protected by the First Amendment. It's absolutely not. Uh, it is You do not have a First Amendment right to protest outside of someone someone's home that the Supreme Court decided that like 60 years ago. There's also a federal obstruction of justice statute, 18 U.S.C. 1507, that makes it a federal crime to obstruct justice by threatening and intimidating Supreme Court justices outside of their homes. We had Judge Esther Solis, a a Democrat-appointed district court judge in New Jersey, had her 20-year-old son Daniel murdered in their home and her husband, Mark, seriously wounded because some lunatic, they doxed her home address and some lunatic went to their house and tried to kill her. And we saw this with Justice Kavanaugh, these illegal obstruction of justice campaigns encouraged by the Biden White House. The press secretary encouraged these Jen Psaki, encouraged by Attorney General Merrick Garland. We had a 1 a.m. assassination attempt against Justice Kavanaugh, his wife, Ashley, and their two teenage daughters after a Almost certainly a liberal Supreme Court law clerk leaked the draft Dobbs decision. Well, so let me ask you about that. I, Justice Alito um, was uh, as um, 
as annoyed as I, I didn't see him speak, but I saw the text. He was clearly annoyed, right? He's clearly annoyed that they didn't get to the bottom of it. Now you were on my show and you told me multiple times that they, there's only a universe of people. It could be, they can figure it out and they will. They just didn't, right? Or they did and they don't want to talk about it, right? Well, I think that I, I mean, if you look at the statement, it's, it is ongoing. Look, I rarely defend the chief justice, but I will defend the chief justice here. I actually think the investigation that they performed at the Supreme Court was a very thorough investigation with the marshal of the Supreme Court. They interviewed all the law clerks. They, they interviewed all the justices. They interviewed them subject to uh, 18 USC 1001. So if you lie to these in federal, to these federal investigators, it is a felony. They looked at cell phones. They looked at emails. Really, what they didn't do is subpoena cell phones right. and emails and, and and subpoena the reporters. I don't know if we want to go down the path of issuing subpoenas for reporters to come testify uh, who their sources are on these leak investigations. That might be a, a pretty slippery slope that we may not want to go down. I think the reason... It's almost certainly one of the 12 law clerks to the liberal justices. As you know, Ed, each one of the Supreme Court justices have four law clerks. So there are 36 law clerks, right? three liberals, um, 12 law clerks for the liberals. They have the access to the draft opinion, the access to the to the internal deliberations inside the conference, separate from the draft opinion, and the motivation to leak this so they can try to change a Supreme Court justice's mind or have that Supreme Court justice killed. And that's how it almost played out. Right. And, and and then they had the access, the friendships with the reporters who reported this. So it's not that hard to figure this out. The problem is, is that, as Justice Alito said, unless you have, it's a pretty high standard to name someone. And so this clerk clearly lied about this clerk's uh, communications and conduct here, and 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 I do think Ed, that they're going to find out who this this law the, this law clerk is going to get caught eventually. Hmm. Okay, well that's good optimism. All right, back now to the next round. It's starting just to get silly. They there was a, a New York Times right wrote up a a, a lengthy uh, a piece on George Mason Law School basically being too good. I, I you know it's like an embarrassment for Georgetown and uh, and Catholic University School of Law that they couldn't do better. George Mason recruited I think it's four uh, justices to teach there. As you point out, every justice teaches. Every summer when they're not working, they teach a course and yeah, they get paid for it. But I mean, you know, they, they, they get paid to teach. That's kind of half of them were professors before. Uh, what's the deal here? Is this a hit? Is this a hit job on George Mason? Cause they don't like a more conservative public law school. I think the New York times intended for this to be a hit job. But after I read the piece yesterday, it seemed like a puff piece. It's, it seemed <laughs> like, a, like inadvertently, I think this, the, the Joe Becker, and this other New York Times reporter who wrote this hit piece thought that they were going to get these Supreme Court, this conservative Supreme Court justices, and they were going to get George Mason University for a public law school in Virginia, and it just backfired. It, it made the New York Times look silly, and it made George Mason University look great. George Mason Law School was a second-tier law school about a decade ago, and uh, they've re- they are really on the rise. And one of my former law clerks and colleagues and friends, Jamil Jaffer, runs one of their programs at George Mason Law School, and he has recruited uh, he has recruited three Supreme Court justices: Kagan, uh, Gorsuch, and Kavanaugh. So a liberal, and actually, so do Mayor as well. So four of them to come teach or speak at George Mason Law School. This is very good for the law school. It helps 
these law students get access to Supreme Court justices, which is good for their their careers. It helps them get clerkships. Uh, it uh, helps the, lo- the the law school raise its rankings. Remember, these are not elitist Harvard and Yale kids at this, these law schools. These are like Green Berets, fighter pilots, naval and coast guard, uh, coast guard officers, CIA analysts, and other very serious students, oftentimes pr- pursuing a second career in the law. So the fact that you have this public law school in the D.C. area where it's pretty accessible for these Supreme Court justices is really a good thing. And if this happened at Harvard or Yale or Georgetown even, the the liberals would not be raising a stink at all. They'd be praising this. But because this is a conservative law school, the New York Times wants to trash it. Well, I have to tell you, Mike, I mean, it's a busy time for you because uh, between all these uh, different uh, attacks on the courts and on the systems around it, um, it's and then and we didn't even get to it today. But I mean, uh, Joe Biden and the and the Senate Democrats continue to try to confirm more and more judges. Uh, Article three project dot org is uh, your website. Uh, again, Article three, the number three project dot org. Uh, there's a lot to do. So thanks, Mike. Appreciate your time. Thank you, Ed. All right. We'll take a break, everybody. I'll put up on social media some links to he's got a great Twitter feed. I should have said that. It's uh it's insane. I forget he told me why. It's his Twitter handle is at MRDDMIA. Uh, uh Mike Davis, if you go search, you'll find him. He's got a blue check on the old system there on Twitter. He's got a good Twitter feed that's got a lot of information on it and a lot of uh He gets his fight back there, too. So uh, you should check that out. We'll take a break. Uh, When we come back, it's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We'll uh, we'll pick up on some of that, and I'll make sure to, uh, again, put it up on social media. ProAmericaReport.com. Go there and sign up uh, for the daily newsletter, The Wink, What You Need to Know. goes out every morning at 8 a.m., ProAmericaReport.com. We'll be right back. Ed Martin, Pro-America Report, back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend Todd Benzman over at the Center for Immigration Studies. He has a post up posted on May 1st. Uh, and actually, Todd, I, after all these, after your books and all these excerpts of your books in every major, you know, New York Post, all over the Federalist, I think. And now back to your old, uh, your, you know, stomping grounds where you do most of your work as the senior uh, National Security Fellow at the Center for Immigration Studies. It's actually posted in your blog, so uh, that's good to see. So Texas massacre happened in America's largest illegal immigrant colonia colony. I think you know the, we'll we'll talk about that. And the major U.S. media won't say so. So welcome back, Todd. How are you? I'm doing great. So that's my first thing. Is we're not surprised you and I and my listeners because we've been spending time with you over the last year or two. The, the media won't cover any of this, it seems like, right? They, they begrudgingly cover any of this major, major story. Right. Well, you know, I've been uh, watching the coverage in the New York Times and the uh, Washington Post. And, you know, all the major networks are covering this thing. But nobody's talking about, you know, the fact that this is the biggest settlement of illegal immigrants in America. And, of course, I knew all about it because I was in there reporting for the final chapter of my book, Overrun. The entire last chapter is concerned with uh, all of the crazy crime happening in this area as a 
uh, emblematic of the kind of crime that we can expect in communities all over America when you have large congregations of foreign nationals from, you know, countries that are developing still, shall we say. And uh, so when I saw the massacre and saw that it was in Cleveland, Texas, I mean, right. that's where I that's where I stayed in my hotel during all my reporting out there, you know. Right. Uh, so I immediately recognized it and was waiting and waiting for somebody to come up, come out with it. And nobody has. What is your so, best? So what? So tell me the facts on this. Walk us through what this means. And and, and, and also, what, what, is it, what is it the term you, you put it in? Uh, you put it in quotes in the in your uh, over at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org, where you posted this colonia. Is that a term that they use for these get these places? Yes. Yes. Uh, so, you know, what happens is this has been going on for decades and decades right. where all along the Texas border, uh, you know, kind of encampments, uh, unzoned, sort of unregulated encampments of illegal aliens crop up, uh, you know, kind of on public land or somebody's private land or, you know, and they're terrible. They're, uh, they, uh, you know, people uh, are living there illegally and the state of Texas, maybe a decade ago, enacted laws that would regulate colonial out of existence, basically, mm-hmm. uh, because they were just regarded as a hazard, you know, to human life and health and public safety. Uh, but the law only held to about a hundred mile uh, strip of the border, north of the border, and this one. Is, is beyond the 100-mile mark. It's about a, a 45 miles northwest of Houston. Hmm. So it doesn't, the laws don't apply. And what happened there is um, a, a developer figured out that he could acquire vast uh, timber, commercial timber lens in okay. that area, clear-cut them, and offer those lots for sale to illegal immigrants. Wow. Uh, owner to, to, to buyer financing so that, uh, you know, they don't need bank loans and social security cards for bank loans and proof of income and all the rest of that. Right. And it proved to be wildly successful all over the uh, world and from all over the United States have been moving there for probably five or six, seven years now. To the point where there's probably somewhere on the, at least fifty thousand out there, and a lot, uh, some people estimate that that it's grown now to seventy five thousand or even more. The Texas Public Policy Foundation, not that long ago, it's a think tank here in Texas, estimated by that by the time the thing is fully built out, there'll be two hundred and fifty thousand out there. They are clear cutting mm-hmm. land every day, uh, built selling lots. Uh, 20,000 lots alone uh, in this last batch uh, covers about 40 square miles of clear cut. And it just like, uh, you know, Mexico or, you know, one of these other countries, it does not look like America. Uh, English is not, not really spoken there. And ICE won't go near the place. So they're just allowed to kind of be out there. And so you know, the point that I was trying to make in my chapter of Overrun, the final chapter, Forever Consequences, which is a, par- a new part of it is excerpted here. 
yeah uh in my post today yep is that you know strange new violent crimes a, a strange new diversity of crimes showed up with this population uh and you know i catalog as much of it as i can in the chapter this obviously will not it's to happen too late to go in the chapter but plenty of terrible crimes are cataloged in my chapter including a guy who you know chained two women to uh the interior of his uh, makeshift cabin and raped them for weeks and finally killed both of them uh one of whom managed to escape but he got to her before she could get away in the car and burned her and the car up hmm. a dog wow. who found uh, a human hand and brought it home and it turns out to be just some unidentified guy i think to this day who was killed and buried with his gun in a shallow grave uh two middle school teenagers who were you know riddled uh with bullets in a car in this colonia just uh, a matter of months ago uh lots of cartel activity drug trafficking human smuggling uh direct sinaloa and gulf cartel links all through this area uh people from Central America, El Salvador, Cuba, uh, uh, Mexico, everywhere around the world uh, have settled in this thing, uh, and it's uh, you know really changed the uh, the the nature of the school district and the. Uh, I mean, it was a kind of a a perfect kind of case study for me to go in and say, hey, this is what it looks like, folks. Right. Uh, this should be familiar to all of you or many of you by now. And it's going to get much worse as this mass migration crisis goes on, which was the point of the chapter. Uh, we're talking to Todd Benzman again. His book is Overrun, How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest Border Crisis in U.S. History. Bombardier Books has that out and uh, getting a ton of attention. So pulling back for one second, Todd, um, it's it's better. It's tragically uh, better to be lucky than good in this case. I mean, you wrote this chapter and about this uh, massive um, town. It's really a, a small city, a, you know, a large town that's developed uh, in Texas. And then this murder that happened there um, a week or two ago is, uh, I guess, not that long ago, April 29th. Over the weekend. Yeah, over yeah. the weekend is um, it's that's in that actual town. It, it, the, 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 the town is called Cleveland. Is that they? That, why do they call it Cleveland? You know. Well, there are several old Texas towns that oh. this thing surrounds. So I that's see. Cleveland is kind of the bigger one uh, that's kind of on the outskirts of all of this. I see. I see. Uh, and it, it, but I mean, it, it's it's just spreading all over. I mean, it's Liberty County, Texas yeah. is where the bulk of it is. But but it has spread into nearby San Jacinto County uh, and is very, very fast moving. I mean, this thing, the development is. I mean, you can't believe it. You could you go out there and you can just drive for miles and miles, and it's just clear cutting, clear cutting, clear cutting, making room for this thing as mm. it grows. Uh, so you know, and, and and by the way, uh, you know the the region was just this beautiful pine forest, um, you know, for for you know decades since it was settled in the eighteen hundreds, uh, and it's just clear cut and. There are sewage problems and environmental problems because, you know, people are just digging trenches out there. You know, they're not even hooking up to 
utilities and, you know, they have to truck water in. And I mean, it's just like a third world country in areas as it goes up. It, um, and, so, and, is, and, and Todd, is it, we're talking with Todd Benzman again. Todd, is, is anybody doing anything about it? Is there anybody, uh, is, is Governor Abbott trying to do anything? I know you said that the ICE won't even try to get in the, this town, but is there anybody else that will do anything? Well, uh, no, not from the outside. Nobody wants to touch this thing. First of all, there's really, really big real estate money involved here. Uh, you know, probably hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, it is an economic boomtown. Uh, even though they are illegal immigrants, they are earning money. A lot of them are working. And I don't think anybody wants to get in the way of that, honestly. And the, the town of Plum Grove, which is one of the probably the closest little community, uh, I think a year and a half ago, finally established a police department to -hmm. deal with this. But a lot of the, a lot of the, the land was part of Plum Grove, but they de-annexed it. I see. So it's its own kind of community. And they, the county, the county has uh, three or four bilingual officers that it pays for to police this area. But I mean, it's just, you know, a drop in the bucket compared to what goes on out there. Uh, When this was about, uh, you know, the guy who, who I recognized this immediately because the shooter was firing his AR in his backyard. And, and what was interesting is that the complaint that led to his attack was not that he stopped firing, but not that he was firing an AR. Right. It was that he was firing it when they were trying to put the baby to bed, you know, because <laughs> everybody out there is got <laughs> firearms and yeah. all night long. Everybody's just firing and shooting every Saturday night. Uh, like one of the uh, locals told me, it sounds like Fallujah out here. <clears throat> um, you wouldn't believe. Hmm. So the fact that that guy had an AR was nothing unusual. Uh, and neither really was the fact that he, you know, shot some people because there are people getting murdered all right. the time over there. Wow. It's um, it. Uh, Todd Bensman, again, is our guest, and uh, he's the at the Center for Immigration Studies, CIS.org. He's got an excerpt from his book, Overrun, uh, out from Bombardier Books. Uh, you need if you don't have a copy, you need to have a copy. You can go to toddbensman.com, by the way. That's the best way to get it. I know of toddbensman.com. I'll put it up on social media. Todd, I don't know. I mean, it gets some days when I talk to you, I think, well, at least we've got a handle on it. Maybe it'll get better. And then in this story, it's getting worse. I mean, this chapter in your book, the last chapter is on this place, uh, Liberty County. And then now we have this murder. uh, And I don't know. It it doesn't seem to be getting better. And nobody seems to care. I did a a segment uh, yesterday on the show uh, where I said, you know, it looks like the media... I mean, then the policymakers, we can all find it. We can all identify it. We can find enough people that put eyes on it and say, wow, that's horrendous. Social media helps. And yet, I don't know, nothing changes. The executive branch doesn't change. Oh, I know what to ask you, Todd. Susan Rice left the White House. Um, and you've, you've talked in the past about the different camps uh, or, or different uh, interests in the White House, people, different groups that have different positions. What, did you read anything into that on this issue? Not, not, just, not just on this town, but on the issue of immigration? Well, yeah, uh, I, I did publish a piece about it again, uh, based on the reporting in the book when she left and, and I had a completely different take on it on her departure. 
Right. A lot of people were looking at her departure and saying, ah, good, there goes a, a, a liberal who caused all this. But the, the, the truth was that Susan Rice was part of a, a cadre of kind of moderate Democrats compared to the progressive wing that has infiltrated the White House and DHS. And uh, they waged a internal insurgency or rebellion against those liberals. I mean, those oh. progressives wow. to stop this mass migration crisis. And chapter uh, 15 of my book details the entire battle, the whole war, all the things that Susan Rice and Ron Klain were doing to try to seize back control of the immigration policy from the progressives hmm. and from Mayorkas and utterly failing. Wow. And so here you see Todd Benzman actually lamenting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. The, the, the Ron Klain. Yeah. Ron Klain and Susan Rice are you were your best <laughs> hope. I don't know. We've fallen pretty far, Todd. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that's, that was my take is that, you wow. know, those, those two guys, I mean, who's left now as title 42 ends. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they were kind of the only hope that although they had lost that war, uh, who's to say they couldn't have maybe come back? Mm. Uh, but now there's kind of nobody. It's just going to be, you know, chaos again, you know, down there after May 11. It, uh, it, uh, which is coming fast. That's coming fast. All right. Hey, yeah. Todd, Todd Benzman, uh, thank you as always for your reporting. Again, uh, the book is Overrun How Joe Biden Unleashed the Greatest border crisis in u.s history todd benzman our guest uh bombardier books and if you go to toddbenzman.com toddbenzman.com probably the best place you can buy thanks todd i appreciate it thank you all right todd benzman everybody and uh cis.org i mentioned his blog over there uh that's where this uh, excerpt was posted and he, there's a lot uh, more there not only from todd but from his colleagues the center for immigration studies uh does really great work and has lots of analyses and others uh, other stuff going on there so all right we'll take a break we'll be right back it's ed martin here on the pro america report don't forget visit proamericareport.com be right back this is the phyllis schlafly report a daily commentary continuing the conservative pro-family legacy of phyllis schlafly now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. We've all heard before that those who do not learn from history are doomed to repeat it. But the left takes a different view. They want to rewrite history. Preserving our history might seem like an easy task. Yet even eyewitness accounts can be silenced by powerfully vocal voices on the left. Xi Van Fleet calls herself an immigrant from China with 200 borrowed dollars in my pocket when I arrived more than 30 years ago. No one could be more qualified to comment on American exceptionalism than her. When pseudo-historian Nicole Hannah-Jones took to Twitter to explain why black history is the greatest rebuke to the narrative of American exceptionalism, Xi Van Fleet called out her faulty logic. This courageous survivor of Mao's cultural revolution proclaimed, Natural rights is unique to the American founding. Because of it, we were able to abolish slavery, Jim Crow, and anti-Chinese laws to allow individuals to succeed. What is not unique to America is slavery, which still exists today. People fighting for human rights in China are jailed by the CCP. The best response Hannah Jones could muster to this was to mention the fact that slavery existed at the time of the founding, and then to make a plug for her television series on Hulu. 
That's not the kind of response I'd hope for someone who bills herself as an eminent historian. Yet Nicole Hannah-Jones believes that her exposure in the news and her academic credentials give her the ability to discredit actual eyewitness accounts of history. If you truly want to learn about the history of communism and socialism, do not turn to the ivory towers of academia in America. Instead, listen to those who have actually lived under these flawed systems and escaped, such as Shee Van Fleet. Those that have experienced communism firsthand are almost always the loudest voices against it. Do not let the left rewrite history in order to shape our future. Acknowledge communism and socialism for what they are totalitarian systems where individual rights are sacrificed to the state. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. The false promise of socialism is an illusion. It devalues hard work and creativity. It's the opposite of the American dream. As proven around the world, socialism breaks the human spirit. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're standing against the rise of socialism. For more, go to phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us next time for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Hey, finishing up today, last segment of the show, I want to touch on, dip my toe into into the waters uh, on this topic. There was a piece uh, ran a day or so ago um, on the Free Press thefp.com. I, I can't really tell what their background is, but I, I will say I, I saw it, I think, on Real Clear Politics. And here's what the gist of the story was. The headline was, Sports Betting is the New Oxyco- Oxycontin. 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 And then the subtitling, the online gambling industry is profiting off addiction the same way the Sackler family profited off of opioids, only this time the pushers include state governments. Lengthy piece. Analysis, uh, anecdotal, lots of stuff. And I have to say it's convincing to me. And it's convincing to me in this sense. I, you know, in, in our country for about 40 or 50 years, we've seen the growing, uh, legalization of gambling. Uh, of course, there was gambling before it was legal, uh, but it's obviously now legal in lots of ways. In the, ni- in the 1970s and 80s, you could go to Las Vegas and you go to Atlantic City. Or you could uh, gamble illegally. And people did that, right? And then we had the growing use of the lottery in states to make money for the states. And they said, we'll use it for veterans. We'll use it for schools. And the lottery grew, and massively so. And then we saw more and more games of chance uh, and online uh, poker, things like that. And then it exploded, and basically, um, you went from the um, the the online, and you the, you you saw the um, the Native Americans were able to claim the sovereignty of their lands as a reason to have gambling, and you had all these different uh, Indian casinos, so called Indian casinos, Native American, whatever, pop up all over the place, up in Connecticut, up in uh, upstate New York, out in uh, the West, and then all the other states. And I was working for state government at one point. They all went in on the action because they, they said, oh, if we do this, it's a big industry. We can get jobs. We can go ahead and get jobs. Oh, there was the riverboat gambling, of course, that in, in St. Louis from where I'm from, where I'm from. They used to have the riverboat. You'd have to actually go out. You couldn't gamble until you were out in the waters. 
You know, so you had to go push off from the dock and, and the, the, the boat had to go out and you had to go out and, and be on the water. And then when the ship came back and docked, you had to stop gambling. Then you put the boats, they allowed the boats to sit in pools of water floating and you had basically buildings floating in water. Well, it's all gone now. It's just a, now you just have gambling everywhere and it's addictive and it's addictive in very sophisticated ways, uh, or say it differently, it, it's addictive in, in the same way addiction is. Uh, it, but it is, we are being addicted with very sophisticated operators who are utilizing how we live and function and how we gamble to get us addicted. And it's terrible. And I don't think it's just a tax on poor people, although it is a tax. The poor people do pay a big tax. It tends to be more, you can't afford to gamble when you've got very little money, and they do anyway. But it's, it hits plenty of people of every level. And more importantly, it's just changing brain chemistry. It's just like, and the, the state governments are making money, and the federal, uh, uh, local governments are making money off of it. It's a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing. Yet another example, and as I've told you before, the phrase I've used is choose your addiction. We need to get everybody addicted to positive things, exercise, uh, spirituality, and they're getting more and more addicted to social media and gambling and uh, alcohol and drugs, medicinal marijuana. No, just ma- ma- recreational marijuana. It's terrible stuff. All right, got to run. Thank you, Noah Dingley, our great producer, Ryan Hyde, associate producer, and uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Talk to you then. On the answer, San Diego. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.